a desire that's been stirring. I, I hear it from you. I, Pastor, I just feel uh, a hunger. I just feel something stirring. And I'm just, I'm excited, guys. I, I don't know how to explain it more than all we can do is surrender to Him. Amen? And we're just so excited. Good to have the McDonald's here today with us. Good to have you all here. Yes, that's all right. All right. I know that we have many who were traveling, and we pray God's hand of mercy on them. Um, I tell you what, we need to continue praying for Billy and Paige and the kids. The miracle had to, uh, the last one had to go to the hospital now and spend the night. Uh, they've all had to have at least one night checking out that place. Um, and they are in need of, of spiritual warfare, guys. They need some prayer warriors to join with them in this battle uh, that they, be, they get whole in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, they, they're hoping that she will get to come home today, but do remember miracles in the hospital at now. Uh, remember them. Good to see all of you here. Um, hopefully, hopefully you will stay and uh, eat some hamburgers. We got some guys. There's some people that are not in here right now because they're flipping hamburgers outside and turning some hot dogs. And so we want to uh, appreciate and value them. And, and so in other words, how do we do that? We go and eat. All right, so we want to make sure you stay and eat with us. We're going to have name tags, right? Did we get them in? Huh? We did not get them in, but next Sunday, we're going to have name tag Sunday. Is that all right? When we come in the house, we're going to uh, put your name on there, not, not your make-believe name. We want, you, we want your name on it so that we can... Uh, get to know, we want to get to know each other. Is that all right? I'd like to make sure that I'm getting to know you. And I'm realizing that what, what I'm seeing and sensing, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, we have a lot of wonderful people in our church, but we're floating on our own islands. And, and I just want us to get to know each other better. I want us to get to uh, get each other connected. And so that way when we walk in, it's not, hey, you. And everybody turns around. That we can call each other by names, and not just calling names, but call each other by our individual personal name, and uh, get to know each other. I, I'm looking forward to that. So next Sunday, when we come in, we're going to have some pens out, um, and we'll I'll probably, if, if there's, <clears throat> I don't want to get in trouble with sacred cows, you know what I'm saying? Um, I'm probably going to have that desk back there that that mail center's on. I'm going to probably have that desk sitting over here, and we're going to have some name tags set up, and as you walk through the door there, we'll have your name, get your name written up on that sheet of paper, and so we can get to know each other, all right? Thank you, Jesus, for wonderful people, and I just want to get to know you so that we can work together even more. How many want that? Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. And one, Galatians chapter five, and one. <clears throat> it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, I read an article uh, recently, this past week, very recently. <laughs> and I just want to read it to you. How many understand that this is a great week in our history. 
Amen? I don't want to pass it by and just walk through it lightly, but I want us to recognize it. And I want to read this. It's a little lengthy, um, so bear with me, and, and, and I'll preach afterwards. Is that all right? All right. <clears throat> it's called the, They Paid the Price. Americans, you know, the 56 men who signed our Declaration of Independence that first 4th of July, you know they were risking everything. You understand that, don't you? Because if they won the war, the British, with the British, there would be years of hardship as a struggling nation. If they lost, they would face a hangman's noose. And yet, there, where it says, we herewith pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, they did sign. But did you know that they paid the price? When Carlton Braxton of Virginia signed the Declaration of Independence, he was a wealthy planter and trader. But there, thereafter, he saw his ship swept from the seas, and to pay the, his debts, he lost his home and all his prosperity. He died in rags. Thomas Lynch, Jr., who signed the pledge, was a third-generation rice grower and aristocrat, a large plantation owner. But after he signed, his, his health failed. With his wife, he set out to France to regain his failing health. Their, their ship never got to France, and he was never heard from again. Thomas McKinney of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay, his family in poverty and in hiding. Vandals looted the properties of Ellery and Clamor and Hall and Gwinnett and Walton and Hayward and Rutledge and Middleton. And Thomas Nelson Jr. of Virginia raised $2 million of his own signature provision of, for our allies, the French fleet. After the war, he personally paid back the loans, wiping out his entire estate. He was never reimbursed by his government. And in the final battle of Yorktown, he, Nelson, urged General Washington to fire on his own, Nelson's own house, then occupied, occupied by Cornwallis. And he died bankrupt. Thomas Nelson Jr. had pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. The Hessens seized the home of Francis Hopkins of New Jersey. France, Francis Lewis and his home and everything destroyed his his wife in prison, she died within a few months. Richard Stockson, who signed the Declaration of Independence, pledged, pledging his life and his fortune, was captured and mistreated, and his health broken to the extent that he died at 51, and his estate was pillaged. Thomas Hayward, Jr. was captured, and when Charleston fell, John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside while she was dying, and their 13 children fled in all directions for their lives. His fields, his gristmill, were laid waste, for more than a year, he lived in forests and caves and returned home after the war to find his wife dead, his children gone, his properties gone. He died a few weeks later of exhaustion and a broken heart. Lewis Morris saw his land destroyed, his family scattered. Philip Livingston died within a few months of hardships of the war. John Hancock, history remembers best due to a quirk of fate, that great sweeping signature attesting to his vanity, towers over the others. One of the wealthiest men in New England, he stood outside Boston one terrible night of the war and said, burn Boston, though it makes John Hancock a beggar if the public good requires it. He too lived up to his pledge 
of the 56 signers of the declaration, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston sacked and looted and occupied by the enemy or burned. Two of them lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or from its more merciful bullets. I don't know what impression you had of these men who met that hot summer in Philadelphia. But I think it's important this July 4th that we remember these, this about them. They were not poor men. They were not wild-eyed pirates. These were men of means. These were rich men. Most of them who enjoyed much ease and luxury and personal living. Not hungry men, or, but prosperous men. Wealthy landowners, substantially secure in their prosperity, but they considered liberty. This is as much I shall say of it. They had learned that liberty is so much more important than security. That they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, and they fulfilled their pledge. They paid the price, and freedom was born. That was Paul Harvey on July 4th, 1974, wrote that. Freedom is costly, isn't it? Freedom is not free. I was talking this past week to, actually yesterday, walking around my uh, block. I live on Sintel Circle behind Fairview Elementary School. And I stopped as this man was out there with his little dog. And, and uh, I petted his little dog because I like little dogs. And... I introduced myself, and he said, I'm Mr. Centel. I'm like, Centel, Centel Circle. He said, yes, I inherited this property from my dad and moved here. He said, my dad served in the military 25 years. He said, I served in the military 25 years. He said, my son has served in the military 25 years. You know, I think about that. I think of generation after generation of many who have sacrificed. Many who have put their lives on the line. Many who have, who have abandoned or, or, or abandoned the blessings of their home country and gone and served in foreign countries. My uncle served for 19 years in Germany. I had a nephew, uh, a cousin who served in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. I had another cousin who lived in Korea for about 10 years. And all of there's many of you in this room right here who have served and who have sacrificed, who have given of yourself. And, and the idea is we do that because we enjoy the freedoms that we have. We, how many value and appreciate your freedom? Amen. I'm thankful. Having lived in a foreign country for eight years and understanding that no matter how much I would like to have the rights of my U.S. citizenship it didn't work that way because I was subject to the government that I lived under. And let me tell you something. We have more freedoms and more rights and more privileges than any other nation that I know of. And it's because of the sacrifice of those who've gone on before us. And I value that and I appreciate that. And I'm thankful for all of that. And, and I'm thankful to live in such an awesome country that has blessed and encouraged freedom around the world. Amen? But can I say this without scrutiny and without uh, 
criticism without uh, uh, an evil eye. Let me, let me say this because it, however freedom is wonderful, freedom is not because of the flag we stand under or the nation we live in, but freedom is because of the God we serve. Amen? Because the, the, the country or the nation that calls God their Lord is the one that is free indeed. And so I would whether know that no matter where I am in the world, no matter who I am or how low or how high my status may be, that I'm living a life that is surrendered to the one and only God, the King of glory, the King of kings, because I know in Him there is true freedom. Amen. Amen. And kingdoms will come and kingdoms will go, but there's one kingdom that will stand forever, and that is the kingdom of God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that we are serving the King of glory. According to Psalms chapter 2, He is the King of glory, and we know that we're surrendered to Him when we walk in Him, when we live in Him. And, and to think that what He did for us, as I said earlier, He willingly left the throne room and, and was willing to relinquish the divine attributes to walk just as we are as humanity so that he, we could experience and he could experience what we go through and be a sympathetic savior. It even says that, uh, it says that he was a lamb slain from the very foundations of the world. There were some who wanted to follow him according to Matthew chapter 8 and 20 and he looked at him and says, foxes have holes and birds have nests but the son of man neither a place to lay his head. He sacrificed so much for us. Aren't you glad? It was for freedom. If you have your outline and you want to look at that, it was for freedom. Our eternal freedom cost Christ Jesus his life on earth. It was for freedom in Galatians chapter 5 and 1 that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. When I look at that scripture, I recognize there's a struggle going on because he said, do not again be yoked. In other words, there's a war going on. There's a spiritual warfare. How many understand that we are in a spiritual warfare? Too many times we make light of the fact that, that there is a spiritual realm. And, and let me encourage you to understand, it is more real than the flesh that's on your bones right now because this will pass away, but that will be eternal. And there's a warfare that we're fighting, and, and Paul alludes to that in this passage. And, he, and we see that we have to look really back to Galatians chapter 4 to see the full struggle. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31, he talks about the son of the bondservant and the, versus the son of freedom. And how many know that Abraham... God had given him a promise. He'd given him a vision. He told him what he would be. He told him that he would be the father of many nations. How many know that God has made you some promises? Amen. And yet here Abraham had been given the promise of what God told him that would happen. And along the way, uh, he gets older. How many, how many know that we get impatient? Not, not any of you, I'm sure. We go to the restaurant and we're like, it's been five minutes. We get impatient. And, and, and God gives us a promise. And sometimes along the way, 
We, we, we believe the promise. We accept the promise. We, with full faith, say, God, I trust and I believe that this is the word of the Lord for my life and for my family. And yet, we get down two, three years away and we get stir-crazy. We get frustrated. God, you said this would happen. Why hasn't it happened? I remember being a youth pastor in Cleveland, Ohio, and a, a lady had been praying for her husband for over 40 years to be saved. And one Sunday, she didn't know it, but she sat over on the left side of the church, and her husband came in and sat on the back row. And after the message that day, he came to the altar, and she was just overwhelmed with joy. And she had given up so many times on, would she ever see him come to the Lord? Would she ever experience... And, 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 but yet she would still put him on the prayer list. She would still say, I'm believing for my husband. Forty years later, he came to the altar, surrendered to Jesus. Too many times we give up. We abort the plan. We, we automatically start thinking of other ways that we can find God's plan or we can do God's plan. How I many know that we too often do things for God and God never called us to do them? Right? And so what happened in Abraham is he got stir-crazy. He got old. He said, I'm old. My biological clock's running out. Sarah's looking a little older these days. And so he, he decided to have a new plan. And, and he, he had a Hagar. And, and a Hagar produced an Ishmael. And how many know that, that some of our lives have some Ishmaels in them? And, and Ishmael has a smell. And, and, and we're living with the Ishmaels of our life. And, and it's because we're walking in flesh. We've not followed the Spirit of God. We think it's a good thing. But, and just because it's a good thing doesn't make it a God thing. Just because it births something doesn't mean it's birthing God's plan. And, and this might mess up your theology. But when you look at it, God not only... Uh, God recognized there's an Ishmael, but then God protected Ishmael. Ooh, God help us. Now, pastor, that's not supposed to be. Not only did he protect him, he caused him to prosper. And so many times we're trying to birth things and we see, well, God, it must be God because it's still happening. It must be God because there's some, uh, there's some provisions that's coming up for it. It must be God. And yet God is saying, that's not the promise, though. That's not, that, that's not the best. It might be okay, it might produce life, but it isn't the life that I've chosen. It isn't the plan that I've designed for you. It isn't the promise. In reality, we understand, we see this war against the flesh and the spirit because then we see this uh, contentious fight. Man, y'all sure are quiet up in this Pentecostal church. Some of y'all's got some Ishmael's, huh? And the fact is, is that we see Paul talking about this and he's, he's saying, look, if you'll follow this, the, the promise, there's a plan. And, and even, in the, even in this passage of Scripture, along about verse 30, he begins to quote uh, something from the Old Testament. He said that the barren woman will be more prosperous or she'll have more children than the one who doesn't. And so... In other words, what he's saying is, look, if you will submit to the promise, 
That even though what you have done has been prosperous, there will be an abundance if you will turn to me. You have to put aside your Ishmael. You have to set aside that. You, you might have to send it off, if you will, because there's a greater promise that I have for you. If you're willing to follow me, if you're willing to submit to me. I might be preaching a little bit harder for a July, you know, independent, liberating service. I'll get there. Hold a second. I mean, we find that the bond, in the bond servant, we're bound, we're burdened and boastful. Because in the bond servant, it's all about me. It's all about what I want. And, and to keep that thing going, guess what? You've got to put every burdensome energy that you have. And it becomes so overwhelming because it's all about you. And you're boasting about, well, I've done this and I've done that. And it's all about you. But let me tell you something. In the promise, there's something greater. Because in the promise you find the freedom and the fellowship and the favor because you have the freedom to know that you didn't start the thing. And if you didn't start the thing, you don't have to finish the thing because though Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, is with you, you have fellowship with God and you have the favor of God. And so therefore it's just a submission to Him to say, Lord, whatever your plan is, God, you got me into this. You'll get me out of it. God, you started it. You'll be in charge of it. I'm just a vessel. Use me how you want to use me. I want to be a son of freedom. So we see that there was that Hagar and Sarah struggle but then it goes on and says in in galatians chapter 5 and 1 it was for freedom that christ sets you free therefore keep standing firm now you know i wasn't always the best kid sean and, and my grandma said you keep doing that and you're gonna get it boy right some of y'all got y'all's halos y'all need to adjust them things So I understand what the word keep is standing. Keep standing firm. In other words, it's an action. It's something that, that I've got to keep doing. Christ has set me free, but there's something I've got to keep standing in. So, so many times we go up to the altar, we cry our little cry, we, we, we let loose of, of yesterday's sin, we, we ask for forgiveness, we, but yet we don't keep standing in it. We, we turn away and say, well, thank you, Jesus. We get our burdens uh, left, but then we pick up the garbage bag and we walk straight back out the door. He says, keep standing firm. I mean, you've got to realize in John chapter 1 and 12, it says, uh, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Look, just because I read the Bible doesn't mean I am a son of God. It's given me the right to become. In other words, the DNA is there. It's available. But I've got to be willing to walk in it. I've got to be willing to talk in it. I've got to be willing to live in it. It's got to be a life that, that I walk in and live because I want to keep walking in the freedom that God has given me. In other words, I, it's a called an adoption. I mean, no, you've been grafted in. We've been adopted. Thank you, Jesus, for the adoption. But I read Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7. 
said, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that, that we might receive the adoption as sons, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God. Now, I don't know, you know, I, I'm thankful that, that there was a John 3.16, right? I'm thankful that there was a whosoever will moment. That he didn't put all these uh, regulations and restrictions. that You had to have this amount of money or you had to do this. And He said, whosoever will, call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever will call on him, right? I'm, I'm a part of the whosoever will, right? I'm that little southern redneck boy from Belton, South Carolina, that, that was so thankful that I found in the scripture, me, it was my name. It said, the least of these. <laughs> and it says that he'll take the simple, there's my other name, simple. He'll take the simple to confound the wise. I, I, I was so thankful that God loved me enough that he's willing to take my nothing yeah. and make something out of it. He's willing to take my little and make something great. Always looking for is a willing vessel. And at the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son for you and I. So many people live below that, that understanding. So many people live with theological phrases and all that stuff, but yet they live below the life of being under the King of kings and Lord of lords. Under the authority of God. He was born of woman and under the law. Look, he was born bound. Born in flesh. Born bound to the law. Yet, he, because of that, he was able to liberate us. How many know you're liberated? We're not bound any longer. We can read the law and understand that we're not bound to that. We're bound in Christ Jesus. We have a new covenant that we live in. We have a new way that we walk in. In Christ Jesus. And so he did that in order that we could be redeemed. So that we could have adoption. So that we are no longer slaves but we're sons. We don't have to live below but we can live as heirs of Christ Jesus. We can live in authority just as he's been given authority. He's given authority to us. That is freedom guys. I don't grasp this. That you don't have to be bound by the flesh any longer. You don't have to be bound by, the, by, the, by sin. You don't have to be bound by the persecution and pressures of the past. But you can walk in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. You can walk in the power and authority of God. You can look at demons and you can say, stop it in Jesus' name. I sat there in a jungle church and watched a, a little jungle pastor. His name was Ramon Cruz. And I watched him as he was preaching and this woman came in and, and she was disrupting the service and she was causing havoc. And, and literally, she, it's as if a, a demonic spirit was on her and she began to try to undress herself in the middle of the service. And he looked at her and says, in the name of Jesus, you stop. 
And she fell flat on the ground. And she stayed there until the end of the service when some ladies could attend to her and lead her to Jesus Christ. We've forgotten that we have the authority of God. And, and, and look, there's, the enemy is subject to the power of God. Amen? Every power is, is uh, under God's power. And we need to understand that we have that same authority today. When the enemy's coming around, we can say, stop it in Jesus' name. Heard a testimony just this past week of, uh, I think it was, yeah, somebody in this room. I won't say names because they might not want to tell their testimony. But just, they were, they were witnessing somebody and somebody went to reach up and just punch them in the face. And their hand hit something right here. And, and, and the guy was like, man, I, man, I about broke my hand. What happened? What, what? And, and the guy was like, what happened? He said, he said, I just hit something. I about broke my hand. He said, that's the Holy Spirit protecting me. We get so afraid of, of walking in this world and under, but understanding, look, guys, we have been given dominion. Amen. We have been given authority and a power, and we need to walk in that authority. The reason that we live in an anemic church in today's society is because we have forgotten that we have been given the freedom and authority to live out the plan of God to show the light to all the world. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It goes on in, in, in chapter 5, verse 1, and it says this, the last part says, Do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Now, I know that there are those in, in, in our Protestant realm who would say, Well, once you get saved, you don't have to worry about it anymore. But I can't help but read scriptures like this that says, that, that says this. Subject again to the yoke of bondage. In other, words, in other words, I have been set free from that yoke. I have now put my hand to the plow of God's kingdom plan. And somewhere along the way, there's an ability for me to turn away from that plan and be yoked again into the bondage of the past. And, and so, do not be subject again to a yoke of bondage or yoke of slavery. And, and, I, and I read that and I think of another passage that Paul goes on and says down below in verse 7 through 9 of Galatians chapter 5. It says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Wow. Running the race. Now, you know, I don't run as fast as I used to. Something about gravity and inertia and pull. The heavier you are, the... Jesus, help us. We don't have the same get up and go, do we? I remember it was about five, four years ago. I could always outrun my boys, man. I was, I was a track runner. So I used to run, man. I could run. And, and I learned to run because my daddy used to chase me with a belt. So I could run. I could get up and go. Whoop, and run. About four years ago, my son, who plays soccer, now can beat me. I don't like to admit that. But you know, Paul used the analogy of running on various occasions. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he tells us, he says, run the race as if to win. 
You know, we live in a society that wants to patty cake mediocrity. Oh, let's give them a participation award. They've been apart. And they've not done anything. They showed up. And honestly, the only reason we're celebrating them is because we got them off the video games. Whew, they're outside for 20 minutes. <laughs> right? But Paul says, run the race as if to win. And later, in, in another passage, he tells them to run by the rules. In other words, he said, there's no shortcuts. I remember, okay, I'm telling on myself. I remember my first uh, 5K. I was 14 years old. I wasn't living right. This car passed. I, was, I beat everybody. I was in front of everybody. But I was tired. This car passed. I said, hey, <laughs> my buddies. I jumped in the car. We went about three, three, three miles. Got back out and waited around until I could see somebody coming in the distance. And I God, man, it's tired. I'm running this race. I was a bad kid, wasn't I? It'd be like my mom would whoop me later. There ain't no shortcuts in this life. And the thing is, is that when we run this race, we need to be prepared to run it. You know, my, 80, my 82-year-old dad goes to the gym three times a week. He makes me look bad. And he's exercising. He's, he's continuing to keep himself in shape. He wants to, he wants to be able, and, and he plays golf three days a week. He cleans the church one day a week. He's, he's, he's the visitation pastor. He's in the hospitals visiting the sick. He's uh, a Gideon. He's a Sunday school teacher. He's on the um, Saratoma board. I mean, this guy's active. He stays busy. Because he recognizes his life is meant to serve. It's not meant to sit down and watch TV the rest of your life just because, oh, I'm retired, I don't have to do anymore. No, God, there's no retirement in the kingdom of God until the last breath is breathed. Well, I'm just going to pass that on to the next generation. I've done my part. I, they don't need, look, this church needs Sunday school teachers. We need greeters. We need people who can welcome people at the front. We need people. And just as we begin this race, we need to continue this race. We need somebody willing to put their all in even till the end of the race. When Paul says, I've run my race, I've finished my course. Come on, somebody. Amen. That's all right. right. Got to run the race. I mean, Paul says this. He says, he says what has hindered you? I, I, I get that. I hear of so many people who've been hindered. And I look at that word hindered, and it literally means to cut in on. Uh, now, you know, I know some of you guys drive crazy. None of y'all, right? I'm talking about that crowd out there. Driving down the road, and somebody cuts on in, you're like, cut in on me, right? There's no road rage in this church, buddy. But the fact is, is that in our life journey, some of us have faced some cut-ins, some hindering. Somebody who have stepped in, whether it be 
uh, great intentions, you know, people who love you or who love the body of Christ but have said something the wrong way and, and we've taken it the wrong way or we've taken it the right way and it was just meant wrong. How many understand that the same grace that you want to receive is the same grace you've got to give? And guess what? Christian people have bad hair days too. I mean, if you're perfect, cast the first stone. Look, not everybody's perfect. We're going to have bad days. We're going to come in and we're going to be hangry and we hadn't eaten and we're like, don't touch me. And that first person that comes in, how many understand that as a, as a church, we have 12 minutes. The first 12 minutes of, of a guest coming to your church uh, is the most impactful. How do you treat new people that come to church in their first 12 minutes? There's the law of seven touches. A guest needs to be touched seven times. Good to see you, good to see you, good to see you, good to see you. <laughs> Preferably by seven different people. Then, I mean, think of yourself. I mean, wouldn't you... I mean, everybody, as you've heard me say, everybody has a want to be wanted, a need to be needed, and a love to be loved. And you walk in, people need to know that you care. People need to know that you're excited, that they're there. People need to know that you are, you are a welcoming people and that they're happy that you, they see you. Right? Twelve minutes. So next Sunday, when we start church, when you get here, I want you to beeline to every person you see. You've got twelve minutes. To touch somebody. Hey guys, that's, that's just, that's statistics, but it's true. It's true. But the fact is, is that even that hinders people. Because look, if you walk into a place and you feel unwelcome, do you go back? No. You walk into... You walk into the store, and it's this little mom-and-pop store, and you stand there for 15 minutes waiting on somebody to come to the, to the altar, and you're bing, bing, or to the desk, bing, 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 and you're waiting on them to pay. Look, at some point, you're going to leave the item there, and you're going to walk out. Because you can go to Walmart and have the self-checkout. Ding. Right? The word hinder also means to be tedious to. Now the word tedious, now that just sounds weird. That's one of my old words. That's just tedious. But it means wearying. It means mind-numbing. It means dull, boring. Let me tell you something. The enemy wants church to be dull. The enemy wants it to be boring. The enemy wants your Christian life to be mind-numbing. It wants to be wearisome. Even Jesus declared, don't be weary in well-doing. Because he understood that this life can be tedious. Because people are tedious. Because we're fickle at times. We do things that frustrate. We do things that even frustrate ourselves. Why did I do that? We, we have different moods and different atmospheres and we have different opinions. You know, opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. Sometimes they're like toes and some people have ten. 
And you can't make them happy. It's too cold. It's too hot. It's too nice. It's too... Yeah. So I'm going ball-headed. I'm, I'm closing, y'all. Y'all better give me some land of music because the food's, you know, about ready. But somewhere along the way, we get hindered from the plan of God. We get hindered and detained from what God wants us to do. And we realize that whether it be people or, or past situations, uh, even persuasive. I mean, the Bible says, uh, it, it says in verse 8 of chapter 5, it says, this persuasion, it didn't come from the one who called you. In other words, uh, the people that hinder us sometimes are persuasive. Just heard of Chris this morning, where Chris was a Holy Ghost-fired young man who went to college. Holy Ghost-fired young man went to college, comes back and is not even sure if he believes in God anymore. Because let me tell you something, the world is persuasive. The world wants to persuade you that, oh, that's, you know, all these religions have been around so long, you're just choosing one. So why choose any? That's what they want you to believe. It's mind-numbing. And it's hindering, and it's persuasive. And, and the fact is, is that a little leaven messes the whole lump of dough up. I suggest that we don't need a little leaven, we need a little heaven. Because if we'll just get a little heaven in some people, it might just change everything else. And if we can find the open door, if we can find the path, if we can find the way to reach into somebody's life and change them and give them a, a sense of hope. Because let me tell you something, those who don't believe... They don't have hope. You wonder why we're, this nation is the biggest taker of depression medicine. Matter of fact, of all of the prescription drugs that are made in the whole world, this nation consumes 80%. Why? Life's been tedious. And we're weary. We're dull. We're struggling. You know one of the biggest fields to go into right now? Family counseling. Why? Because people are searching for help. They've been hindered along the path. They, they, they don't understand this freedom that we have in Christ Jesus any longer. It's contentious. And they're just looking for somebody to walk them through the process of getting life back on track. And look, as much as, look, I have a degree in human services counseling, marriage and family. I understand it. But I also understand that the key element in any relationship reconciliation is Christ Jesus. Because you can give methods and methodology. You can talk about behavioral modifications and all those things. But unless you have Jesus, there's no true freedom. Because all you're doing is putting a cap on something that you've struggled with and you've learned to cope with the problem that you have and it's never healed. But Jesus came to set the captive free. He came to heal the brokenhearted. And unless they find Jesus, they're still captivated in, in, in their blindness to the world and the deception of the world. So we've got to remember, we got to remember our calling. Verse 13 and 14 of Galatians chapter 5. For you were called to freedom. 
Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But serve and love. Look, man. We as Americans are super, super blessed. The thing is, is that we're so blessed, we're cursed by our blessings. Because all of the liberties and freedom we have, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking about that other crowd out there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We've turned to appeasing the flesh. Because now we've made life everything about us. There's no sacrifice for the kingdom anymore. There's no sacrifice of time, talent, and treasure for the kingdom anymore. If it infringes on my own benefits and my own time and my own things, then we don't do it. Well, you know, I've got this schedule. This is more important. God, I'm going to give you this amount of time. And we allot to him the least instead of the first. It used to be first fruits, right? Now it's last fruits. It used to be first of my time. God, you're getting the best. Early will I seek you, Lord. And now it's, Lord, I am just tired. It's been a long day. Jesus, I'll see you tomorrow. It used to be that we would give to the kingdom the best things. But now we clean out the house for the yard sale and say, well, whatever we don't sell, we'll give to the church. Sure, they could use that old piano. It's broken down. It's been used 150 years. Can't even tune it up anymore. Clink, 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 clink. It can sit in somebody's corner, and now we're making a relic. Woo, we'll worship it because it was given to some of the, you know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. There might be some of those around here I don't know about. <laughs> I haven't looked in any closets yet, so I promise. What has hindered us from reaching the potential that God has for this church? For the freedom in Christ Jesus. What has, what has hindered us from the revival that we've been yearning for? What has kept us from experiencing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? What has stopped us from being together unified in such a prayer that we see the open heaven and the glory of God flowing down? What has kept us from experiencing the voice of God so clearly that it shakes us? Because we know that we know that this is what God wants us to do. What has hindered us? What has cut in on us? What has caused us to not walk in the freedom that we once walked in? I don't have that answer for you. But I will say this. That the same God who called you, He's faithful. The same God who said, I set you free, is still there available to set you free again. The same one who filled you with the Holy Spirit is the same one declaring be filled again and again and again the same one who caused you to to turn your life around 
is the same God who wants you to turn it around some more. He's still there. Are you willing to see the freedom of God flow in this place? Are you willing to truly, when we sing, welcome Holy Spirit, are you truly willing to let Him mess you up? Are you willing to let your makeup get runny? Are you willing to let your hair get tore up? Come on, right? Look, we, we can dress in all of our fancy frocks. But if it gets so fancy that we can't let God move, then Lord, let us wear blue jeans and t-shirts. God, just move us. Let us be transformed. Let us be turned upside down, God. Let us be so on fire that it just begins to spark and lets others catch fire too. This morning if you say, Pastor, whatever it takes, that's, that's hard, I'm telling you right now, whatever it takes, I want to see revival flow in my home, my family, my church once again. If that's you, would you just find a place in this altar right now? Just find a place. Lord, whatever it takes, Lord, for there to be revival. God, we are willing to do it. Whatever it takes. Whatever you want us to do. God, we're willing. Whatever you want us to participate. Whatever you want us to be a part of. God, whatever it is you want us to get rid of. Whatever hindrances there is, God, we're willing. Whatever it takes, God, we want revival. We want revival, Jesus.